Today we are with Sean Brown from the West Haven Group and Oakland Realty. Sean is a extremely high-performing realtor, so he gave us an insight into the um, real estate market and here in Vancouver, as well as uh, the brokerage business, um, what realtors do, how they do it, what makes a good one, what makes a bad one, and how do you be a top performer. We kind of went a ton past that and went much more personal with Sean. Um, he was kind of to open up and become vulnerable about you know, what it actually means to be an A-type personality, the, the pitfalls and the downfalls of that. What's past success? What are the impediments to that? Is it all about efficiency? Um, and the psychological developments that happen within a high, per, a high performance person and also the psychological just understanding of humans in general. So Sean, thank you for coming on. And without further ado, here's a conversation. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You can find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Sean, welcome. Thank you. It's great to have you here after such a hectic day. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Sean, how do you hourly define yourself to the world? Give us some context. How do I hourly? Outwardly. Oh, well, I feel like um, I try to present myself as a polished professional who works very hard because that is probably the most one of the most important characteristics to my clients, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've learned over time to offset that with something that's equally or probably even more important, which is being a warm, approachable person, Matters. Given, the, given the line of work that I'm in. So it's a balance between those two things. And of course, it depends a little bit on the on the client or group because mm. certain groups or clients will respond a little bit better to certain, Absolutely. Uh, certain aspects. How do you define yourself um, inwardly? Touch Sean on the outside. What's Sean on the inside? Who's that guy? Uh, I would say... It, uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I would the, say everyone always stumbles on this one. They're yeah. like, oh, me, me. We don't want to talk about me. We want to talk about professional me. <laughs> right. On, honestly, I'd say that that's a little bit um, in progress mm. because I haven't fully figured that out yet. Oh, the vulnerability. There's, <laughs> I love there's, there's many aspects that I'm clear on and there's a number of aspects that I'm still not quite clear on. Mm. And um, as I get older, um, I've become more more aware that I haven't quite figured it out inside. Mm. See, that's really interesting. If you were to ask me the exact same question, I'd go, I have no clue, uh, right? And, and we, it's so funny because our outward personalities are defined so quickly and it seems like we jump into a silo, we jump into a box, which is like important. Society kind of needs us to be in a box to understand this, right? But inwardly, it's like this abyss of, well, it could be a hundred different things. But for you, um, when you say that you have no idea, you must be aware of certain aspects of yourself that you're quite clear on and that you know are solid, Mm -hmm. even even if there are a number of other things that you don't feel clear on. So you must have some clues. There's that. I think there's like understanding your core values right. and understanding your identity are different. Like I'm solid on my values and I've done a lot of work there to understand, you know, what my like personal operating system is, what the moral compass is, all these types of things. You know, crafting an identity mm. 
from your values and inward identity, oh, that becomes tough. Because like for me, again, I'm always thinking about, I hate like, I dislike things like I am statements, you know what I'm saying? Because if I, well, I am a realtor, so I don't do that. Or I am uh, a wealth management professional, so I wouldn't engage in in why or I don't think uh, in in with this methodology. Core to my core to my identity, which I do know, is that is staying completely radically open minded. So that's kind of led me to not craft an identity. Yeah, I, I can certainly say that over the last few years, I've traveled what quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, we didn't travel at all. Mm. And um, in in being in various places with very different cultures, uh, I've definitely seen some things that have made me question various parts of myself, various parts of my own identity that I thought I was clear on, mm. and that I thought was what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's that that has sort of been part of beginning to question a few things that I thought for the you know the, my twenties that I thought it was quite clear on. Care to indulge? Uh, I think that um, one one example would be that I've defined in the past to myself, I've defined my sort of self-worth based on accomplishing certain things that are important to me or certain goals that I've set that are important to me for each period of time. Mm. And um, I've I've beginning to question certainly um I guess that those aren't really those aren't really those don't really add those don't really build create self-worth there mm. there should really be independent of that Goal, goals don't create self-worth so well goal, achieving goals should not be the basis of one's self-worth. Of self-worth got it and that's been a big thing that's been definitely a, a, a big thing that i've realized is not healthy this episode is brought to you by Self-Hired. Self-Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are a head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at Self-Hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email. Thank you guys so much. And here's to the episode. So within all of that, you're in an industry like, I look at you and you say, oh, Sean, he's very successful. How do you define success in your industry and in, in, in selling real estate? And it doesn't really have a ceiling. Yeah. You know what? There's rationally, the way I would define success in any industry, including real estate, would be are you enjoying what you do the majority of the time? Do you are you happy most of your days? Of course you're gonna have bad days, but are mm-hmm. you happy most of your days? And that's probably the that's probably a, a great example. If you're happy most of your days, you're successful. Mm-hmm. However, even in knowing that, that's not really how I operate. Mm-hmm. I'm very numbers based because you're not that and, guy. You know, exactly. I'm the. I'd like to be that guy, but still not there <laughs> uh, at all. And so, um, uh, for me, it's what, what, how much have I sold this past period? What is my goal for this year? What is my goal for this period this month? What is my dollar amount? What is this? All these different metrics, mm-hmm. and um, and that's what sort of causes me constant anxiety because I always feel like time's going time's moving by quickly and i'm struggling to catch up mm-hmm. or keep up or catch up depending on where my sales numbers and various goals for that period are at mm-hmm. um so i try to offset that with thinking okay well um with each of my clients that i've helped this past month or whatever 
try to focus on that because that's of real substance. But ultimately, I revert back when I'm by myself to, oh my God, you're three behind and the month end is coming. You need to hurry up. And then the, just the weight is, so it's, it's, it's definitely stressful. So a couple of directions, like number one, what are the, what are the markers that keep that anxiety at bay? What are the, what, what do you need to say to yourself? Like what, what are the triggers you say to yourself where you can kind of go, okay, no, it's, it's okay. Is it strictly those numbers? That's it. We're hit, we're hitting four or five homes a month. I have no idea what it is, but whatever it may be. And if we're, if we're behind that, like if we're, if we're not on pace for that shit, the, the alarms are on and here we go. Like, knows the grindstone is that kind of the situation or how do you define it to yourself how do you yeah. keep it at bay uh i you know what i'll try to go I'll, I'll i'll try to remind myself when i am in those periods of of stress what is most important so right. I'll, I'll try to remember you know you have a great group of friends a great partner a great clients like the great people all around you all the time mm-hmm. um among other things that i'm grateful for but Ultimately, that that comfort is short lived, and all, and then the weight comes back. Of course. So it's just it's it's really I haven't figured out how to actually um, s- see the bigger picture deep enough that it really sticks. Mm-hmm. Because those superficial things, mm-hmm. they're always very strong, and they're always creeping back in. <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. Like we have a lot of tools to deal with those types of things, right? I, I was I was watching uh, the vlog you recently did with Market at Peeled Media, and and um, and you were going through your morning routine and you downloaded a meditation app. Was that what it was? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, hold on. I just need to, I just need to sign up real quick. <laughs> Best part in the vlog, by the way. Hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been meaning to, I, I, I understand that, that meditation would probably be a very useful tool, especially if you get good at it yeah. to deal with all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, the, and I've, I've tried, but the problem is, is I just find it so painful. Which I know is part of probably doing part of the it, process, but yeah. I just feel like the problem is every time I go to, if I have, every time I have the attention to go meditate, yeah. I think, well, why don't I just be looking at listings or looking at why am I doing? Well, I could just spend that time doing work related stuff, and that'll provide me instant comfort. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it always gets trumped by work, which I know is not the not how it should be. Right, because again, if you go back to what's the ultimate goal, and if the ultimate goal is happiness or defining success or whatever it is, and what you just said to me is that, well, actually going at listing has been working is actually comfort and meditation is not comfort. So what you're actually after is comfort, yes. which all of us humans are like, we're constantly guilty of that. Why do workaholics work so much? It's because that's where, that's where we want to be. It has nothing to do with the work. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> true. And I think another thing is that when I, w- the calmness I do feel, or when I get the, you know, asked me about keeping it at bay. What really keeps it at bay is when a sale happens, right. then it's at bay for a bit. <sighs> so because of the, that positive reinforcement for 10 years, mm. it is, is so ingrained in me it's that here. if I really want to be ha- feel happiness or a little high, like an sale. addiction, go get a sale. And if especially if there's a few in a row or a big one, then I'm nothing makes me happier, <laughs> including like my relationship, my whatever. Matter. Nothing. Ooh, cloud yeah. nine. Yeah. But how long does it last? That's the pro- Ooh, very fleeting. How, so, hold on, let me ask you a question. Has it when it when at uh, ten years ago? Did it last longer? Ten years ago, it lasted longer. I could get a good few weeks. Oh wow! And, and now I am down to oh. And now I'm down to like, you know, probably like 30 minutes. No. It's so short because I'll be high and then I'm like, oh no, because the the goals are pretty high. So it's like, oh, I'm still behind. I need to get going. Right. And so it's like, I'll be on cloud nine for that maybe 30 minutes. It's so interesting with with high achievers. You actually, there's, you have your internal goals and your internal narrative that you're 
trying to stick to drastically and then you have the world's you know uh goals and narratives and, and their projections on you like well, i was looking at shunt shut the fuck up for two seconds like you're good everything's fine go to cabo go to cabo you know and you'd be like well actually no joss i'm, I'm actually quite far behind and in, in mine but you're you're not living in the real world yeah. like your world is not the real world so how do you get to that point where like how do you gain context on your life like how do you actually get context on your life and your sales numbers and your standard of living I think I'd have to be genuinely open right. to get some context and I can pay lip service, but ultimately <laughs> I'm not genuinely open at this still yet of course. because all, I still at my core, um, my, like I use these things to define my self-worth and how I see myself yeah. and that just has not changed. Isn't and I've even been through like three years of therapy. Right, weekly right. to sort of gain insight on this. Of course. And at the very end, we made good progress. Yeah. But when I came to this, I really, I had to tell him, I'm like, I, three years and on this particular topic, I have just as firm of the same <laughs> beliefs as three years back. I'm so sorry. It's been a waste of time, at least, for this, yeah. at least as it pertains to this topic. So interesting. Like how we intellectually understand like the psychological mechanisms that are happening in our head, but that doesn't change it. Yeah. Right. Like we can we can know the mechanisms, but do we have control over them? No. Well, I think also when you um, if you look back, if you if you try to understand where something comes from. Yeah. And so which I've done and I understand, I believe I have a clear understanding of when this sort of thing, this sort of view started. Mm -hmm. And when it dates back to your childhood and was um, ingrained at that young of an age, mm. um, it's very it's difficult to truly change because it's so deep in your foundation. And that's why when a child goes through, um, you know, if a child goes through a traumatic experience or something, oftentimes they remember it well into adulthood, that one instance, how big it was. Mm -hmm. Even if an adult looking at the situation could see it wasn't that big, to a kid, everything is much larger. So um, I, I, that's where I believe mine started. And that's why I also, that's why I think that changing it has been so difficult. Plus, I don't even know if I really want to change it because it's, it's a driver. So it's like, I feel like that's a bit of a secret sauce. Absolutely. Keeps me going. So it's like, I'll tell my therapist, oh yes, I'd love to, I, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to change, but I think I probably go, leave my appointment and be like, well, back to my not old really, ways. No. Yeah. yeah See really. you next week. Back to my old ways. See, that's so interesting. We have, um, we have different like fuel sources, right? And so like a therapist or, or some type of healer or whatever it may be. You might be like, okay. Well, listen, Sean, you need, you need actually to, to work through like your, your, your inner shadow and you need to work through your early traumatic stress and you'll be happier and life will be better. And you're like, yeah, like that makes sense. I get it. Work through it. Talk through it. Okay. There's exercises for that. But like, you don't understand that like i don't know how good that fuel source of like happiness is but this fuel source of like angst and ocd and drive and ambition this ambition narrative that i'm in i know i know that's a good fuel source well i know that i i've gone through periods um where i've been i've gone the short-lived periods where i've been really content or happy mm. for whatever reason yeah. and they're, they're my lowest they're my least productive times yeah. i might be happiest but i'm definitely not <laughs> getting so as far ahead it. so seeing that it's like well part of me is like do i really even want to be happy i <laughs> not know. really because then all of a sudden i'll just get nothing done i'll sit there content <laughs> So like be miserable. value systems, like what really matters, what really, really matters. And to us, it's like, well, who's to judge? Yeah. Who's to judge on that? Like, and so for instance, like you say, all right, when I'm happy, so I, I, I have the same struggle, like with myself, I'm like, okay, well, I can move really fast and like work myself to death essentially. And like, that's fairly un unsustainable and I'll have like short burnout periods. You learn, you learn how to like get your burnout periods shorter and shorter and shorter. You get really good at being an idiot to yourself. Um, <laughs> as you know, yeah. and, uh, 
And then I'll have moments of like, okay, well, no, let's let's go deep into a meditation practice, you know, deep into, um, you know, understand what like, the core fundamentals of like a daily routine are, meditating every day, sweating every day, sauna every day, all these types of things, uh, cutting out time for relationships, all these things that like make life more meaningful, slow down, monotask, all these types of things things and i'll get there and i'll be more relaxed more happy but i'm looking at the pace of tasks being done or i'm looking at the pace of numbers coming in and i'm like it just doesn't move as quick yeah. and for me and as do you understand the exponential nature of time and the exponential nature of money i'm like okay well it's a speed game <laughs> this is really a speed game and so yeah this may be a more sustainable route but like we need speed right now yeah so how do you come to terms with that? I, don't know, I, don't know. I have no idea, right? I think to me in my mind, the solution is is um, is to get to a point that's good enough that you know you'll be less desperate. Right. The, which of course the problem there is for that depending on the person, what is that point? And that point might be so difficult to accomplish that really you're going to be struggling for a good, you know. 10 or 20 years and then maybe you'll get it absolutely so then of course you're then delayed to feel like you've you can finally relax a bit until you're ancient so then do you think that's time wasted like how do you live a good life then because because now we're battling regret I mean, that's a that's a excellent point and certainly one i've certainly one i think about sometimes for sure um the only in the recent in the most recent few years the the way that i've there's been two things that i've tried to do to minimize that potential issue one is is to try to book enough travel in a year that i can't regret too little travel or too little experiences in that way fill that bucket yeah so that at least is one and that when i'm away that is definitely the time where i'm best by far best able to disconnect from work because here in vancouver work is everywhere everything Everything you do is related to every building you look at exactly exactly so that's one and the second one is um kind of like i make a goal of most things i'll try to put a quota on okay like date nights or a going out night like try to get one a month or one whatever it is yeah and then at, then at least mentally i i can't have too much regret because i hit the quotas and <laughs> therefore i know i'm i couldn't have done too bad of a job in those departments right 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 so you systemize it yeah yeah very interesting yeah very interesting let's hop back to real estate yeah, yeah. um back on your on a global level, on a on a life level, because we're speaking on a life level, what's the ultimate goal? Like you say, all right, I have a certain amount of sales in a, in a month, and I'm trying to hit that. But like when we look at long term, you know, you're still a super young guy. What's what's the goal? That's so. That's an excellent question. In the last year, that's one I've been struggling with deeply mm. because um, I love my job mm-hmm. and I love my clients, and I love now that I've I feel like I've gained. Uh, enough knowledge and experience over the last decade that almost every transaction I find things may go wrong, but ultimately I'm so used to all the different things that it doesn't cause me too much stress. Mm -hmm. And I know I've learned all sorts of unique or all sorts of creative ways of fixing various problems. Mm -hmm. So, and I like that my level of experience is enough that almost any of my clients or all of my clients would definitely say that I'm a good guide and advisor and respect the opinion. Um, So, Oh, sorry. I'm now just forgetting what you said. I'm saying, what's what's the ultimate goal? Oh, yes. So the so I don't think I I don't see myself ever leaving real estate because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. the The challenge I'm running into is I only have so many hours, so I can't just keep 
once you reach a certain amount, say four deals a month for one person, mm -hmm. you can't really do much more than that without truly running yourself ragged. Mm -hmm. um, so then how do you expand over the, uh, past that? And also, like, I, there's another thing that I've kind of struggled with, too, is that this business is not really scalable and it's not a sellable type of business. It's not like you've created a separate brand or entity yeah. that you can really build into something big. Yeah. Um, and it's not a product. You can yeah, just exactly. Scale a product. So you can't sort of work toward a sellout or work toward, you know, keep continued expansion. Mm. So that's been something that, that that's been the aspect that has, I've kind of struggled with. Mm. So what I have begun to think about, okay, well, is there any, um, is there any complementary businesses that I could start that wouldn't start spreading myself too thin because they're so complimentary where I, where they may add additional income streams or, uh, uh allow me to explore other things in a sense, mm -hmm. other, other parts of real estate. Um, and that might make me feel a little more, um, I guess overall fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So you kind of sidestepped it a little bit. Like I understand what you're saying. Real estate is essentially a platform. Real estate is essentially a way to grow as a human, as a professional, to gain the networks and the capital accumulation, to then go off into different different uh, business industries or or entities that are then scalable, and you actually can then withdraw your time a little bit, diversify your income. These things are nice, but still, like, what is it like? I know a big goal for a lot of realtors. Sometimes it's like a hundred million dollars in real estate, selling a hundred million dollars in real estate, or like selling a billion dollars in real estate, like. Is that, do you work on similar parameters or? Okay. So with, with getting to that, my current, up to this point, I've um, been selling about three a month mm. and I've been kind of stuck at that ceiling for the last few years. Wow. And this past year and this year, I've, it's become ultra important to me to get past that ceiling and to, uh, four deals a month right. on my own. Right. And at that point, that's a, that's a volume that will keep me content because at least you're selling every, something every week. Mm -hmm. So that'll give me that high that I need because mm -hmm. I know that I need that high mm -hmm. regularly enough that I'm like in good spirits. So it's totally so, not about the money for you. No, it's, it, well, there, well, well, the, slow down. The, yeah. So the, the deals tell me, okay, well, you know how to get clients, which is the hardest part. You know how to close deals. So that will, that at least tells me you've, you're good at this career. Mm. Going past that, then it's the income part. So, um, like the next, the next milestone I'd like to reach would be 750. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the main one I'd like to reach is in a sustainable way to be bringing in, um, a million in personal Plus, commissions yeah. consistently, sustainably. And so that's the challenge to mm -hmm. get to those parts. And I, and I feel like at that point, even if more isn't always better, once mm -hmm. you get to a certain point, it's like you've, as long as you can, you know, acquire the things that you kind of want for your personality, Absolutely. anything above that, you're not really going to get happier. Mm -hmm. So I feel like at the, those gross incomes that I'll probably be in a position to, um, to buy the things that I tend to gravitate toward. Mm -hmm. And then I don't really know what else I'd need from a, a materialistic perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, they've done studies on it. They've done studies on it. Do you know what the number is? Well, no, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I know what you're going to say, but, but that is not specific to Vancouver. Okay, so you Fair tell enough. me your number and then I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> I love you. You came armed. You came equipped. Um, now, the number the number was commissioned in the U.S. The number was commissioned in the U.S. And it's $180,000 a year. Oh, okay. So after $180,000 a year, it becomes a lot of diminishing returns. It's it's fractal, essentially. And and it doesn't uh, – what I'm trying to say is happiness is not correlated to increase in annual revenue. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. The only one thing that I will say is that um, I think that – 
I think when when it comes to the money or materialistic things, mm. I think that some people are um, some people are are what are just more drawn to things that happen to be more expensive, mm-hmm. and it's annoying. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've always been like that. Yeah. And so I'm all the things that I want are like four four to ten times more than the normal person versions. Absolutely. And I hate that. Yeah. But that's ultimately what it always is. Yeah. And so. For me, when it comes to that sort of, if I want to travel and stay at the places that I like, that I'm comfortable in, all those types of things, mm-hmm. it just rapes me financially. Mm-hmm. So that's hilarious. a problem. Yeah. So and that that's always been a problem. I've always struggled with that. Yeah. But it's but I've realized. Well, if I want to get kind of, if I want to be able to have fun, unfortunately, my fun is not cheap. Yeah, I don't think it's about the money. I think it's about what the money represents, right? I think money, like money, is so interesting because it's our only gauge. It's our only good gauge for success and validation right then it's like i don't even think it's about taste or personal personal preferences actually that's you're uh, probably i can't argue with that you're right it i don't know what it represents. i don't know and obviously the, when i mentioned those more expensive material things mm-hmm. those obviously those represent to, well they also represent right. if i own them that obviously re- probably comforts me of course because it's like well you would you own this you must be doing go well, back goes back to level level yeah. comfort yeah no i completely understand so you have you might you have to have like a deep so it's so interesting that those things register with you so readily, right? You're like, bang, 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 yep. Like, and you're able to categorize and able to understand like psychologically what's happening with yourself and, and with other people. Like, how much do you understand people at this point? Like, how much of your people skills developed? Like, you're dealing with high net worth individuals. You're dealing with, you know, people that are buying real estate in Vancouver. And I don't know if you know, but real estate in Vancouver is, Vancouver is not cheap. Mm-hmm. And so you've had to deepen your level of hum- understanding of human psychology I'm interested to know what the difference is between someone that, for instance, is buying a million dollar home and someone that's buying perhaps a $3 million home or even a $5 million home because, and I ask this because I have a thesis and that I think that money doesn't really change or change people, it just exposes people for, you know, like you're going to have the same monetary habits, you know, at $100,000 as you will at, you know, maybe $500,000 with a few exceptions, right? Your How you deal with money will be the same. So, I, my thesis in this, and maybe I should maybe wait to say this, but I'm going to spit it out anyways, is that I think that the difference between the 500, the million, the 3 million, the 5 million or whatever it is, it's just these people are just enabled. They're just enabled in different ways. I don't think the psychology of those buyers are different. Granted, I've never sold a home in my life. I have no idea what I'm talking about. How do you see that? Um, I would say... It's kind of as a as a general rule. Say homes over two million, and then homes under a million. Say mm-hmm. um, there are definitely some differences. Now, the psychology of the buyer mm-hmm. in general is probably quite similar. Mm. But I've I've had to, or I've been learning to adjust my um, adjust certain parts of how I go through the transaction depending on the different clients. Mm. So, for example. Um, I've uh, a, f- a few of the things that I've noticed are, in general, and of course there's always exceptions, but in general, yeah. over two million, there's um, there's certain. I'd say that there's certain demands, like unsaid demands, on how that person is ex- to, how that person is treated, mm. um, and the service levels. Mm. It's it's expected to be faster and. Mm-hmm. more on top of it mm-hmm. which makes sense but that's one thing whereas oftentimes under the million there's a little it's a little more forgiving in that way mm-hmm. 
I definitely say, and, of, and this probably makes sense for obvious reasons, um, but if if someone's purchasing a home over $2 million, it's most likely um, because they've been particularly successful in their career. Mm-hmm. I understand some people, many people come from money, but in general, it's because they've been successful in their career, which probably means that as a in in some ways they might be a little bit they might be more intelligent at least as it pertains to business and things mm-hmm, absolutely and so um, they tend to be uh, I notice that I have to really be on it because they tend to kind of know more just mm. in general mm-hmm. um, and I've noted noticed that that before I personally prefer the clients over two million because I like moving fast and I'm very Type A so I. I'm right alongside. That's mm-hmm. who I naturally gravitate toward. Whereas <laughs> the under the million, I have to be a little more patient and be cognizant, cognizant that I'm not come not almost pulling them along too mm-hmm. fast mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm. Um, but I have noticed that as well. Mm. What's the what are the traits of a good realtor? I never bought a home in my life. What are the actually, traits? actually, I'd like to add one more thing to sure, that. It's a little bit interesting. Yeah. Um, with and, and this is with all due respect, but ego. Right. Um, there's definitely more of that on the higher end. So that's one thing that you have to be respectful of if you want to work successfully with many of those people. So how do you manage that? Uh, how do you mitigate that, for instance? Okay, so f- for me, for me, it's just having learned these things mm. and knowing that if my ultimate goal is to have as many um, happy clients as possible who are my ambassadors and referrers, I need I need to be the one to pivot the way that I am and right. and be the type of agent that they want mm, right. and then so so yes i'm still me but i mean like i will make some adjustments depending on on the client of course so, so. that's what i've that's how i've learned to deal with it is basically just give them what they want <laughs> nice you said that you shouldn't have said that you, you said, said it the first way very eloquently it was very nice <laughs> long story short i give them what they want exactly. you know <laughs> so maybe that's what Maybe that's what makes a good realtor then is a, the ability to not um, have your cater client your clients cater to you, but rather cater your services, your personality to the to the clients a little bit more. To an extent, for sure. Yeah. I think also in uh, to be a good agent, I think one of the most important things is is asking questions, but not just questions, asking questions and then diving deeper mm-hmm. throughout the process because I, I am someone who is genuinely really curious to hear about other people. Mm-hmm. I always have been. So I love asking people questions, even if I have nothing in common with them, mm-hmm. even if I don't even find them interesting, there'll still be certain things that I will find interesting or certain things. There might be something I might learn from someone. Absolutely. Um, so I naturally gravitate toward asking a lot of questions and really listening. And in this line of work, it's very beneficial. Um, so, but the things that you can learn, because a lot of times, like say I'm with new buyers, they may tell me, they may have a list of criteria. Um, that's that's one part of it. But there's a whole other part of it that they likely can't even articulate, which is many unsaid and subjective and emotional things that come about once we start, once once we either start working together or once I ask certain questions, why? So they may say, I want this. Well, why do you want that? What's the reason? Mm-hmm. Oh, because of this. Well, why that? And then it's like, oh, that's what's really Never behind it. And now I can sort of understand more about them. And then I can start choosing properties that don't just meet the criteria, but resonate with some of those mm. emotional aspects to those people. Hmm. Very cool. And same with even on the list side too. There's... um the the same in different ways the same sort of thing applies if someone you know why why do they want to go about their sale a certain way or what are their goals etc well they'll say certain things but you start diving deeper into some of those things and you learn 
I don't want to say the real reasons, but definitely more of the, as you said, the root reasons. Mm-hmm. For other professionals or other realtors that will probably listening right now, what, what's been most beneficial in terms of you building your skill set as a realtor? And what's been most beneficial in terms of just, yeah, sharpening your blade, but just like and personally developing yourself to a point where you could be a really kick-ass professional? Mm, two things. One um, is in the last couple years, especially the last year. Mm. Um, at first I was scared to ask, but now I actually ask every time when I have a client, whether they're, well, they're, they're always happy, but I mean, like if someone's unhappy about something, um, I will always ask at the end of the transaction or during, how do you, I'll I'll say like, um, so you're, you're happy with your new place or whatever. You're happy with our results. But let me ask you, is there anything that happened during the process that you feel could yeah. be better or that could have made things smoother or any, anything? anything? And, I, and I'll say, like, be completely honest. Honestly, I just want to keep improving. So I need constructive feedback. Otherwise, you're not helping me. So don't try and yeah. shield me from anything because actually you're not helping me in that way. Yeah. And I've gotten some good feedback. I'll, I've had clients even, we'll get together for coffee and they'll have made a list. Wow of ideas and even some of them will like actually make lists for just new ideas to my business Mm. and i found that to be pretty useful because that's coming right from the people that you serve Mm. and then another has been and this has been in the last year i've gotten together i've asked various agents um actually no this is more than the last few months but it's i'm trying to do it every couple weeks um i've asked a number of agents that i respect um can i take you up for lunch i really respect what you've done in this way in this industry here and i'd love to ask you just a few questions about it I, you know, I know you're super busy, but um, I will be prepared and I'll take as little time of yours as possible. Yeah. So I've gotten some good things there because mm. those are people who are doing better than I, mm-hmm. at least in one way in this industry. And I like to get their insights. Feedback, feedback, yeah. feedback. Yeah. So and, and radical honesty with yourself probably as well, right? Like taking that feedback. Oh, absolutely. That And I'm... Um, I'm the first to admit that I may have some strengths, but there's a horde of weaknesses. Mm. And I would... Um, love to be able to improve as many of them as possible so i'm absolutely i'm definitely open to learning things for sure so one of my favorite things to do is like blow things out of the water like in terms of like all right um we had a transaction we had a business deal we had whatever it was ex ex partners ex-girlfriends and boyfriends hey listen what was really horrible yeah. <laughs> you know yeah what was what was mediocre and like honestly like we're done. The transaction's done. We're finished. You know, how, how can I improve? And then what I love doing is like, then putting that wide out in the open, like at the point of, well, you're still, you still haven't improved. You've just gotten the feedback. You still haven't improved. All right. I'm admitting I'm putting on the front page or whatever it may be X, Y, and Z. I need to change. Okay. I'm self-absorbed and I'm too goal oriented. I don't know. And then going, all right, now I'm going to be super public facing about that. Like, and I don't mean like you're posting on socials or whatever, but just like owning it yeah. and not being afraid to put it outward, outwardly. And then having the confidence in that, like the reason why I can do that is because I, now that you've told me, I have the confidence that I'm going to change it. And I'm going to put, I'm going to start at the, like I'm going to day one of the journey, I'm going to put it out there and day, whenever it ends, whenever I deem that I've conquered that or whatever it may be, I'm going to put that out there too. But just so you can see the contrast, like I love that type of shit. Like I, I recently started um, like uh, 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 training for like striking and boxing and MMA and stuff. And I'm suck. I'm the worst, but I'll put it out there. I'll put it on socials. I'll put me just being complete trash out there because I have complete confidence that like, give me three months, give me six, six months, whatever it may be. And that as a young person, has been the biggest tool in me garnering uh, garnering respect from the older generation. Mm-hmm. 
just having that ability to do that. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I say that to someone like yourself and you'd be like, all right, well, you know, I'm 10 years into my career, but into your life, how old are you? 30s? 35, yeah. 35. So, so at 35, say this is a hundred year game because it probably is. It might even be longer. You know, you're not even 60% of the, or you're not even 40% of the way through yeah. yet, right? So it's like, what really matters? What really matters? And that's why I asked that earlier question about, well, it, regrets, right? Anyways, I circle all that back. Um, Quick little tangent. I apologize. I, I do these things. Um, you said you you go out and you reach out to other professionals in your space. Who are those other professionals in your space? And what are the qualities that you look for in a super high quality realtor to those people that you're reaching out to? Right. Um, well, usually their sale at uh, the very basic, usually their sales results have to be strong. Of course. Um, but as further than that, it's someone with strong sales results. That's also particularly talented at at least one component. Hmm. I haven't really, most people cannot be truly good, like particularly like competitive advantage good at more than like one or a couple things. Right. So um, it's identifying a few people that have one trait or skill or something mm-hmm. that I've, I, I note might be kind of part of their superhero or sort of superpower in a sense, at least as it pertains to this. And um, it's usually that, that I kind of like to, ask about get underneath the hood a yeah. little bit and some of it some of it is um i i can't necessarily just learn but it's still i i always come away having i always come away with at least one one thing they said that um really hit home in a way and would affect me in some way like mm-hmm. that would cause me to action something mm-hmm. or cause some attitude on something to shift significantly so um yeah, that's so why i always find it valuable What's your what's your superpower? Actually, you know what? I, I was actually asking a friend recently. I was saying, I don't know if I'm actually good at anything. Like, I, I can work hard and stuff, but I don't know if I have any talent. Yeah. And um, his his response was, um, well, you're, um, I'd say it's your work ethic, your sense of humor, and your ability to take feedback. So I was like, well, that's not really a talent. No talents there. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, okay, well, fair enough. I don't have any talents, and cool. it's been confirmed. But if those are my three things, then I'll just... I guess I'll just work on those. <laughs> so to be honest with you, <laughs> so I actually got. don't know. I would say, I actually, you know what? I would say one thing. And that's that before I got into real estate 10 years ago, yeah. I was a personal trainer for a few years. Right. And I actually um, loved that job. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason why I got into real estate was because when I was a personal trainer, my favorite part of it was how personal the relationships got. They were mm-hmm. very not surface. They got deep. Right. And um, and when I was shadowing an, a, a, an, an agent um, that actually was my personal training client. Wow. I noted that the relationship, because buying a place can get stressful and there's oftentimes all sorts of personal stuff wrapped up in it. Mm. I noticed that the relationship in many cases would not be superficial. It would become more personal. And so, so I thought, well, I love the personal aspect here and I'm really good at building that efficiently, but building it. I like that in this career, it appears that that's another way for me to have that. And I end with my clients. I like it. We don't just, it's like we get together and talk about weather when we're together, even if it's limited time, we'll get, we'll discuss relationship. We'll discuss money stuff. We'll get, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get more personal because I want to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I can usually, um, I can usually do it with almost anyone. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I don't find that a lot of my client relationships are superficial. Like mm-hmm. they become more friendship. So, so every professional in the world would like to say that, right? Like in terms of like, oh no, like we have deep connection with clients and maybe it's true or maybe it's not. But a lot of people will hear what you just said and they'll go, okay, like I get it, but how? 
How, you know what, how is, I think it's not being afraid to, uh, to, to start asking those questions that dive deeper, even as they become more personal. Mm. And I think that not everyone can do that because some people, if they were to ask a personal question, they would ask it in an awkward way right. or whatever, and the per- it'll make it awkward. Mm. But I find that I um, don't feel at all awkward asking mm-hmm. about someone, you know, someone's marriage issue or something, if it's the right person. Mm-hmm. But I'm always very careful with my words and I sort of tailor it to that person. So I tend to find that when I do start getting personal like that, I don't usually have someone say it's none of your business or, oh, like usually they will just sort of open right up and we'll be, we'll keep chatting. Mm. So I don't think that, um, I don't think that everyone can do it, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I don't, maybe it's, maybe it's learned, but I do think it's a bit of an, I do think it's a bit of an art. Absolutely. It's an art. Yeah, for sure. So how did you learn that? Like, I get it. There was some personal training there. Now you're in this business. What was before that? Like, give me the story. How did you mm-hmm. develop? I think just, I think it was a combination of uh, maybe a few things. One is um, not uh, like the, like I said earlier, the genuine care about the general, the general interest in someone, when someone can detect that you're genuinely interested in them, Mm -hmm. most people like to, most people don't often in a day experience someone who's like really engaged in them, but, but they want, but everyone likes that. Everyone wants that. So if you genuinely are right off the bat, they're going to detect that and they're Mm going to be way more open because most people want to talk about Mm themselves to someone who truly wants to listen and who's asking the questions and keeping them going. Prompting you. Uh, So that would be one. I think the other thing is, is that I don't like, I don't like networking type events because I don't like. I don't like that superficial. superficial stuff. So I, I I find that when I'm there, I really perform badly. And and at this point, I sort of just avoid them. Yeah. What I like doing when it comes to my like um, building my like basically business development, yeah, yeah. it's getting together for a lunch or coffee or dinner, and it's having a good hour and a half chat going in. And it and again, it's not oh you know what do you think of this this delayed spring? Yeah. It's not that. <laughs> it's like you know getting into it more. Of course. So. Um, so I think it, it's that as well. And then I think the last thing is that I find asking certain questions a little bit entertaining. Like if I ask <laughs> something that's personal, that's almost inappropriate. Yeah. I find it a little bit entertaining and I like to see the response. Yes, so the, uh, unfortunately, my sense of humor will usually make that okay. Yeah. So then I find it. But then when that happens, usually it, even if we have a laugh over the inappropriate question, it usually does set the stage for other follow-up questions. Right. It's an art. <laughs> it's a fucking art. Yeah. yeah there's, no, there's, no, there's no way. There's no rhyme or reason like it's all intuitive it's all yeah, in the moment I too agree. right and everyone's different so it's like Every you can't single... ask everyone some people you can ask totally inappropriate questions to and they like get delighted that you they can even <laughs> chat about that yeah. but then other people you have to kind of go in in a little more gentle way <laughs> yeah it's really it's really, really interesting yeah. i it's great to hear that you take that approach to networking because like for for me and myself like i despise that stuff like i'm like I, I, you're going to you're going to meet a ton of people, you're going to have access to a bunch of people. I already have access to all of these people because of LinkedIn. I don't I don't need access through a networking event. Like I don't I don't get the purpose of that. And maybe it's cuz I'm just like weird and construed and have this own little idea and live in my own world, but I just I don't see the purpose of that because I don't see all you're going to a situation where everyone else is asking like is trying to take. You're going into as you go to a networking event trying to take you're not giving anything in any situation it's just a room full of takers which is fine you have to be a taker i'm not you know downing that at all but i'm just like forming genuine connection in those situations is going to be extremely difficult i don't care like how good you are right yeah. and if you do go to that networking event and you do zone in on something like you ever go to a party or a networking event 
and you spend an hour and a half, two hours talking to one person. Well, that's always me. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And I don't feel guilty about that in, in the slightest because that's that's where I want to be. I don't give a damn about all this shit. Right. I want to be here with you. So it's just like I take the exact same approach where I'm just like, that's cool. You guys do you. Like I'm going to headhunt and who do I really, really care about? Who do I really want to know about? Who am I most curious about? I am calling you, right? And and I get to have a cheat code for that because I have this podcast, which is great. <laughs> total, total cheat code. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, I, I think, yeah. I think some people, the people who are good at networking events, uh, at least in my line of work would probably be someone with a bigger personality that almost everyone is drawn to where they don't really have to go deep. But in that 10 minute exchange, the person, the other person immediately is drawn to just their energy and personality, even right. though they really haven't discussed anything of value. That's a good point. And that person can then work a room and, you know, by the end of the networking event, they've spoken to 25 people and, in that, in those little snippets of time, their personality was magnetizing enough that those 25 people all remember that person that's a good and, point. Are, and think, I really like that person. That's, that's who I think is if you have that ability, then you could probably make good progress with networking stuff. But I mean, I, I, I don't have. I feel like I'm likable, but I mean, like, I just don't gravitate. To, I don't want a 10 minute conversation. I'm not right. going to learn anything interesting. I'll just be bored. Yeah. So it just doesn't, <laughs> I, I just don't like it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I don't like the same question or same few topics over and over again. Right. It's just it's redundant. Oh, and it's, it's so. yeah, I understand. But there's still like so much value to being the shining light in the room. Yeah. Right. Like, so there's so much value to oh, that. Yeah. But for it's sure. like, I mean, for me personally, like, I just, I don't really care to be that shit. Like, I don't. Doesn't like I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. It doesn't get me high. It doesn't yeah. get me high. You know, like that's fun. That's all great. Like being on stage is great. It's fun. But like for me, it's like it, does it give me like internal value or like deep value? Like no, not really. Does it like provide some value to my business plan or my professional life? Yeah, probably. But it's just like where do my value? Where are my values are and what am, what buckets am I trying to fill? Ultimately? Yeah. And for me, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you, um, when I was digging into you a little bit, I know that you used to, uh, operate a, a brokerage or you used to have a small team. Is that, is that right? Um, yeah, I did have a brokerage for, um, for about four years. Okay. And the reason I did that was initially, um, when, before, prior to that, I was at Remax and I wanted to, I had an idea for sort of a, um, a real estate related side business that I was interested in and, um, Remax wouldn't let me do it. Mm. And so I said, well, basically, fuck you. And, um, and then got, went off and to see, well, what, what is starting a brokerage? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And I looked into it. It seemed doable. So I just jumped right in, did the licensing and just sort of made it all work. And unfortunately, the biz- that particular business that I was interested in, I decided I learned I didn't have any interest in once I got going with it. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, oh, well, now I'm stuck with this brokerage mm-hmm. um, without that without that business anymore. But I'd already jumped around a few times before. So at that point, I thought, okay, you're now you're just going to stay put because your clients are probably thinking, what is wrong with you? You're always moving every year. Of course. So I just committed to that and stuck with it for the four years until I realized or until I decided that it's just too inefficient. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do anything actual with that brokerage. So mm-hmm. then I changed over to my current one and that's that's it for now. So you were building it. Do you, do you have a team of realtors of that? Like, how does that work? I, I know at, nothing about yeah, this. Yeah. So at that time, I could have taken on licensees and I could have opened up an office. I could have done all sorts of things because I had the, I had my brokerage license. I was a managing broker. Mm-hmm. So I, I was set up at least from an administrative and licensing perspective mm-hmm. to do that. But I didn't, I haven't really had an interest since I got into real estate in managing realtors because they, there's many great ones, but there's a lot of them that are not amazing because mm-hmm. the barriers to entry aren't that high mm-hmm. and so i don't want to be 
babysitting and trying to sift out some of these people. I just didn't have interest in that particular managing that particular group. Mm -hmm. Now with a team, you can have, a, I have a small team now within my brokerage mm -hmm. and our team name is the West Haven Group. So that's the the, the name for our team within the Oakland Realty downtown mm -hmm. brokerage. Mm -hmm. um, and and there are many teams that grow to be very large. There's many teams that are bigger than many brokerages. Mm -hmm. So um, Interesting how yeah. that works. And, and it's also interesting too, because the way the industry is evolving, there are some brokerages that have a power team within, and that power team is basically the only reason that brokerage can survive. Mm -hmm. So that power team leaves and takes the 60 agents with them. That brokerage may be left with, that brokerage may go under. Yeah. So there's some teams, like I've even heard the term, um, Teamerage, which is basically a combination of the words team and brokerage, mm -hmm. where a team is so basically so powerful that they're ultimately as powerful as a brokerage. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It used to be the big, you know, Sutton or Remax, Royal Page, whatever. They were the big brokerages, but that seems to be evolving away. And now teams are having teams are building and taking on more power. And there's hyper local brokerages opening up in any in every major city or community. And oftentimes those tend to do really well in a community because they're a brand that's associated with that location. Hmm. So how are you moving forward in this ecosystem now? Um, well, <clears throat> see, that's a good question. Is um, I have been speaking to a variety of agents about how their team works. I only have one agent right now and then one full-time assistant. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I don't feel like I have clarity at this point on exactly how I'd like to build a team or if I want a larger team. I'm not sure yet. Mm -hmm. I'd, because what I've noticed is that with some teams, they're large, but when you break down the average amount each person's working or the average number of deals each person is doing, it's not impressive. Even mm -hmm. though as a team, the team lead might say, oh my goodness, we sell blah, blah, blah. Well, when you say divide it by 18, it's like, that's not impressive per agent. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed that there's a number of teams that probably don't really bring about that much extra profit for the team leader mm -hmm. who started it, um, especially given that he's probably he or she is probably training and mentoring and doing all that stuff. So <clears throat> I don't know. I've seen some some teams where they really have it down pat and there's a reason why it works. And I've seen other teams where I think it's ultimately just ego and really it's just not, I don't really see the point of it. So what I'm hearing is it's inefficient. It can be inefficient, hmm. but there are some team leads who know exactly what they're doing and they, their system is set up to, to really make the numbers work. And I have seen that side as well. So how do you create a high performance team? Twofold. One, in general, speak to characteristics if you can, and two, specifically in your industry. Okay, well, um, if you're if you can build <clears throat> excellent systems, platforms, all sorts of stuff mm. that other agents can benefit from. Sorry, not to cut you off. When you say systems, you're talking workflows, uh, client generation. What are you talking about? All okay. There can be so many different things to get clients, um, maintain clients, maintain relationships through the through transactions. Mm -hmm. All those different things. All sorts of processes and sort of mini systems within. So if you build <clears throat> a really effective, complex whole system that is a combination of all sorts of mini systems within each category, then that's a value to other newer Got agents or it. agents who have not been able to build that. So you can then bring them in, they can benefit off that. Mm -hmm. And then presumably any business that you can give to them, you take a cut, of course. cut for it. Um, Many team leads, from what I understand, they might like the idea of mentor mentoring and mm -hmm. teaching. So that can provide them with value. So if they're providing access to systems or marketing stuff and they like doing the mentoring and they're taking a cut of that agent stuff, then it can be a win-win. Well, unless it's a net negative in terms of business. 
I mean, like mentoring, yeah, in the long run, it's great if that person works out. In the short term, it's kind of wasted time. So you're right. And so that's why some team leads, I've known um, I, I've known some who did have a team and then said, well, you know, this is, the, I made I made the same or more when it was just me mm-hmm. to focus just on my stuff and just pumping through deals with my assistant or whatever. And so they ditched the, ditched the team and then just go back to their own thing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends. But then I also, I can think of one example in my head who, where he has, um, he has set up his system, his team, such that he brings in the business, but aside from that, he's hands off. Mm. And his clients know that then the team takes over. Mm. So he does the one aspect that he likes and then everything else that he doesn't have an interest in, the team does. And then he takes likely a significant amount from that. And so ultimately, and and that is a little bit more scalable because he can bring in as much business as possible. And then if he has too much business, all he has to do is add a team and then take his, Mm -hmm. say, 50% or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that there's a little, he has it down where there's a little bit of a scalable element to it. So, but yeah, go ahead. I was to say, but the the downside to that could be that not all client types are okay with hiring a main agent mm-hmm. and then ultimately working with a more junior agent for the majority of the experience. I understand. So because there's the, that will that may limit what type of clients you can get and ultimately hurt the business. Now, again, if we're talking about numbers and the business and high efficiency and high performance in that field, we're not talking about growing people or mentoring people or anything like that. We're not talking about that. When you're in your mind, in your just thought space and, and how you're thinking about this, I know you're probably still in the bl- blueprint phase and sketching things out and just thinking about it, conceptualizing it. What does the highest performance team look like in realty? What does that look like? How is it the system where you go out, you bring in business and you have the juniors then go through the paperwork in that process? What does that look like? No, no, no. The, there, I don't think there, there's not a right answer there because I've seen and I've been told from other agents that are experienced that um, you can have different team structures or even totally different agents both achieve very high results and fall into the category of high performance, mm-hmm. yet the way they go about it is completely different. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, I don't believe there's a right answer. I think it's really just whatever style you choose or gravitate toward, you do that well. Mm-hmm. And you stick with it and you're hard work, consistent and intense with it, in, in, you know, with respect to work ethic. And over time, it will, you know, reward you. How do you think about high performance personally? You strike me as someone that is a high performance person and as someone who has, you know, watched your vlog. I understand your 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 habits a little bit. How do you think about high performance personally? How does that is it valuable to you simply in that it's going to produ- produce uh, more net output in your business? Or why is that even important to you? Why do you think about it so much? And why is it in your headspace? Like you seem, and I'm projecting onto you, so please stop me if I'm wrong, but you seem to be someone that's optimized many different facets of your life and work in a space of high performance why and what does that actually mean to you i think i think i think ultimately it's it comes down to there's a few different categories of things in my life that i need to self-actualize within Mm. in order to be happy what are those well, certainly it'd be work. It would be generally my fitness mm-hmm. <laughs> and the ways that matter to me. Um, and then relationships. Those would be my main three. Um, and 
so it's so it, it I can't be happy if those if I don't feel like I'm self actualizing in those categories. Mm-hmm. And I know with when it comes to self actualizing, it varies from person to person. So for me, I can I can say, okay, well, what is self actualizing with work? And that would be primarily the numbers that I mentioned. Right. Um, and I can say with fitness, what is self actualizing? Well, it's a certain weight, it's a certain body fat percentage. It all comes down to numbers. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not there, then I'm not happy because I'm failing at what my my baseline should be in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it comes to my relationships, you can't really measure that by numbers. But it, but do I feel like I have a tight relationship with all the people that matter to me? And if I don't, if something's getting weak, then that bothers me. I need to fix it. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately comes down to: Do I feel like I'm I'm reaching what I feel is my capabilities within each category at a particular point in time? Mm. Do you feel like you're limited in your self self actualization process in life by the level of OCD that you have 100%. in each one of those things. Hundred percent. It it when you're that when you're focused on those things that I've mentioned, that's kind right. of takes up the majority of your space. There it would th- there's opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. So there's probably so well. I know there would be many different different ways that don't get that don't get improved upon because there's no attention being paid to it. Absolutely. Um, and that that down the road could cause re- regret. I guess my hope is that. I can reach a certain point in these areas where I finally feel like, okay, well, that's a good, that's a, that's, you've made it in a sense. Mm -hmm. And then you can maybe get a bit more perspective and open your mind to other things that are lacking. But right now I just feel like I'm desperate to get those done. What was that point? Was that exact point you're just talking about right there? What was that point seven years ago for you? What was that point three years into the business? Um, well, admittedly, the numbers keep increasing. Of course. <laughs> so, and it's, so they do keep increasing, but I feel like um, I sometimes have friends will ask me, well, it's never going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that I do feel like at some number, and I feel like I, I know what I, I've spoken to enough high producers to know that, to know, have a good idea of what baselines you, you're into the category of top producer. So yes, you can go, you can always sell more. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's sort of like, I feel like it was like when I was in university. As long as my report card had A's, I was fine. Yeah. E- even if it was A minuses, I didn't really care in university. Mm-hmm. So whether it was an A or A minus, it really didn't matter to me as, because as long as I could say I had straight A's, mm-hmm. then I felt like I made it, like I mastered university. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so, and when I did, I never, um, it's, at that point, I never cared about trying to work for an A plus because mm-hmm. it just seemed inefficient to try to work so much harder for that. Mm-hmm. But it was just getting to that baseline that I felt was in, was sufficiently impressive to myself. Mm-hmm. So I feel like similarly, it'll in real estate, it'll be the same thing. Once I achieve that, which I'm in, when it comes to volume, four deals of my own per month. Yeah, I can work, try to work for five or six or whatever after that point. But ultimately, you're I consider myself a high producer. I've mastered the career. Um, in the ways that matter to me and I'll mm-hmm. probably be content. Well, content at least with this, that, that element I get of that career. <laughs> I get it. Then the, but what if, for instance, like you talk about opportunity costs, you talk about the cost of high performance because there's a cost to high performance. People don't understand that. Like there's, you are most definitely foregoing happiness, enjoyment, fulfillment, and other areas of your life that frankly, just not as important to you. Right now, what if that baseline is like, again, we talked about earlier, we talked about your reality and the reality of the world. What if the reality of the world is bees and you're now essentially living in an own superficial world that's not real, but is most comfortable to you. Um, however, you're not most efficient. Have you ever turned the tables on? Because if it's about efficiency, and I think it truly is, what if most efficient is a bee? 
most efficient is probably B. <laughs> However, <laughs> if I look at B, we I don't th- like B. <laughs> well, it might be the most efficient, but I mean, like, I'm not impressed with any of what I'm seeing. Of course, <laughs> in a sense. So I don't feel like B is even an option because, in my mind, it's like. You bees need to figure out, need to realize you have a problem and you need to start struggling <laughs> yourselves at fixing your problem. Right, right, right. But again, so, so, so I, but again, but, but so I can appreciate that the bee is more, is objectively more efficient. I can see that. Yeah. But then, then I, but I don't, I can see it in one sense, but then I think it's wrong in the other sense. <laughs> so, well, at the end of the day, it's what matters to you, right? <laughs> at the end of the day. And then, like, dude, <laughs> I get it. And like, I think as someone that has similar outlooks on like performance or whatnot, like I, like I get up at four, not because I like getting up at four. It's because it's what's most efficient. Like you said it in your vlog where it's just like, we have super inefficient hours at the end of the day because our willpower is exhausted and we have super efficient um, hours at the start of the day. So let's maximize the ones at the start and cut the bullshit at the end period. Right. And like, I get that. Like I really do. But I think when we, when we, like when we zoom out more big picture, it's just like, what matters? Like, is there like a universal truth in like how life should be lived or how your life should be lived or how um, we go through this like human growth experience? Like, is there, is there fundamental truths to that? And like, is there like an actual peak? Is there a, a nirvana, a, a, a peace, a fulfillment or whatever it is? And shouldn't we just want to get there earlier? And if getting there earlier is the goal, and again, I'm making things up. If getting there earlier is the goal, then you need to get past this stage of like being this narcotic, like AAAA needs to be a fucking A or get it out of here. And like, dude, I I'm, I can say it to you with confidence because I am that way, right? And I, I understand. So it's like if the if the goal is like living a good life and being fulfilled and reaching that level of happy retirement or I don't know what it is, then and to get, if we reverse engineer that, to get to that point, we need to get past the stage as quickly as possible. So going on that thinking, doesn't it just kind of make you want to turn around and go like, fuck, like, yeah, I'm performing like, wow, but is this the most efficient way to the end goal? Right. Right. Um, life, I, it's, 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 life could probably be simpler and probably be easier if you do kind of um, find that right, find a nice balance mm-hmm. and just only work toward what you really need and not these other things. Mm-hmm. But but so, but I just think that's boring. Mm-hmm. Like it might be nice, mm-hmm. and I and I see it. Like I I I have family members who have who I believe have that they have a nice balance on all sorts. Of things. They have great little family and mm-hmm. friends. The whole th- the whole thing. But I <laughs> and I'm around them every holiday, and I see. But I mean like. I look at a number of things there. I, I think their careers are boring. Yeah. I think that they, their careers have been stagnant for 20 years, yeah. which they, but we have different views on a I career. I Me and them. So I don't know. I'd rather just be burnt out and miserable yeah. and continue on um, looking for my constant highs yeah. than being the balanced and content. I'm just not, in, I'm just too boring. <laughs> So, and it's too like mediocre, even though it's, that sounds rude. It's just too mediocre in my mind, even though I respect that it's, um, healthy and nice what's best for them yes i get it and and that's not to say their way is wrong it's just a different way that's not for you excuse me as i draw this parallel but any athlete or any um any drug addict would say the exact same thing because that's what we are sean we're drug addicts 
in one way or another. And we may be very healthy in our habits and not actually using drugs or whatever it may be, but in terms of we are going after dopamine hits. So when I'm talking to an addict or something, I say, listen, you really shouldn't take that drug, whatever it may be, because of X, Y, Z. You know, that makes logical sense to me as someone who doesn't have those problems, right? And now as someone who's sitting across the table from you and has those exact same problems, I ask, why should we wean ourselves off of these dopamine hits of high performance? Okay. So firstly, I know that I'm a, I, I under, I've already, I'm, I'm already aware that I'm a drug addict. A hundred percent. And, um, and I've known that for a while. However, the thing is, is that if me getting my high means that I've just helped a client Right. And I know they, in my mind, there's not that many realtors who are good as me. Uh So that means that I've really helped them and they could have been with someone else doing something less savvy. And Um, probably losing money and and not doing a good deal. Exactly, those things. And I'm also getting a payout that allows me to take a step forward financially. And help more clients. So so it only, it's like I get my high, but then at the same time, I've helped someone. And at the same time, I've taken a step back and sort of my, you know, be, being responsible, i.e. making money and moving forward that way. So like the pro- there's not really, there's too much good there's too to, much to, good. to try and like minimize it, even though I know that from a mental health perspective, there's all sorts of negatives. But I mean, like, I can handle those. I'll just stick with, I just want my highs. And I get it. There's these other good things. I get it. I'm waiting for someone to convince me that there's a, that there's truly a truly, truly, truly better way. No, no. I've had friends, I've had many friends try to convince me and give me good arguments and ultimate, and even if I say, oh my, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. I, you know, I, I understand that that's sinking in. I'll hang up and be like, oh God, bullshit. <laughs> so, so, and I have some smart friends yeah, who no are doubt. articulate yeah. and it, I, I don't know. I don't agree. <laughs> I get it. No, I, I completely get it. So if we, so I love it. Thank you for playing devil's advocate with me a little bit. I do appreciate it. So when we talk about a little bit more in terms of goals and, and why, and we talked a lot about the why, and it seems to me like, why doesn't Sean build a team, like build a large team? Like, it seems like you understand what a high performer is. You understand what it means to be uh, successful in this business. You, you you understand scalability, which will ultimately give you the things that you want in life, which is, you know, yeah, sure, more financial resources, but ultimately more time and more freedom to do other things or other business ventures, which will fill with work or whatever. But having the ability to do that, it just seems very obvious to me where I'm like, okay, this guy should should really, truly build people and build a team. But it doesn't seem like you're moving too much in that route, and maybe I'm wrong. I think it's because um, I totally see your point, mm-hmm. and I do believe that the systems that I built so far, especially in the marketing realm, um, and the constant kind of education of evolution that I'm trying to go after, I think I could provide a lot of value to a team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely might be around the corner. I think the only thing, the only reason it has me hum more of a thing in my in my mind is because I still feel like I'm. I'm figuring a few things out and I, and I feel like I shouldn't be committing to these people when I'm still not fully clear on everything in a sense. Okay. Um, like I know I like real estate and I, and I, (laughs) you know, but I, I don't know if I, I don't know if the next step is, for example, would the next step be taking on say four team members help, helping them and hopefully financially it makes sense that I'm getting something from them too. Yeah. Or do I keep things as they are, max out my four deals a month, but then begin getting into the new build or renovation space again, which I have experience in. Mm. So when if I'm comparing financially, so say one makes me an extra couple hundred grand or whatever a year, the other one does too, which one do I prefer? More, mm. Now mentorship of these people and more real estate or working alongside a designer and whatever on a different type of business that I like. That's mm. very complimentary 
So mm. I'm not sure, but I can't do everything. I can't be, uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel like you can do everything and do it really well mm-hmm. before you start dropping balls. So you, I feel like you got to be, I'm just trying to be a, little bit, a bit careful as to what's, what is the next best step. I think what I'm trying to get to here is that I think that you actually, you probably could do everything and you actually probably could do everything like very, very well. But I don't think you do everything perfect, right? And I think that's what really matters. And when you talk about to, to you, where it's just like you talk about yourself and you're like, well, I haven't really figured, like there's a couple of systems that I haven't figured out like completely. And like, but I think that again, the, and this is a situation of like maybe the, 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 the good being the, and or uh, the perfect being the enemy of the good enough, you know, and, and yeah. why not? And when it turns like, if when we again think big scale, so it's like, I think that maybe there's a, I'm kind of projecting myself on you a little bit. So it's, it's not me, but. It, for me, it's like I can't really build a team because I'm not bulletproof and perfect. So I need to be bulletproof and perfect before I make four other people that are bulletproof and, and perfect around me. And on top of that, humans aren't objects. They're not systems. They're humans, and humans are deeply flawed. So I don't think I could even per, like perfect those humans and build perfect pictures of high performers in the world. So that seems like a losing proposition to me. I'm probably just not going to do it. You're you're definitely right, and I can say that. Uh, like I see other teams, and I look at what they're offering to their juniors, and I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, I already have substantially more than that to offer. Absolutely. So I already see that, and I already have a number of newer agents who call, unfortunately, more than I want them to, <laughs> with questions at every one of their deals. So yeah. even though even though they're not on my team, I'm already doing the mentorship and anyway. Not getting the return. So yeah. I, yeah, so I'm not getting any return. Um, so I already <laughs> I can see that stuff. I and, and I and I feel like I'm getting closer to just more clarity on what the next I want the next 10 years to look like it's more just a a choice of well what what businesses do I want to add to the mix and in what order got it what order is most efficient I'm just speaking from me man what order is most efficient and what order is sort of the most one the one that's going to give me the most enjoyment first first and then yeah so and and is most exponential yeah yeah exactly then there's that too fuck systems plans blueprints I get lost in this shit for days. Um, okay, I get it. What about um, marketing? And because you, you're 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 very unique in how you've done this, and we have to wrap up pretty quickly here. But I mm-hmm. do want to speak about this a little bit. Yep. What? Why are you taking this approach? Maybe for those that don't know, what is your approach to marketing and selling a house? And again, personally branding yourself and how you put yourself forward in the world through social media and all this type of stuff, and some of the work you're doing with Peeled or whatever it may be. Why take that approach and? You've clearly decided that it's most important and most exponential. Why? Okay. There's 14,000 realtors in wow. our region. Wow. There's tons of them. What's the region? Uh, lower mainland. Okay. Yeah. And so you got to stand out. Yeah. And for me, one of, I, I'm naturally, like my, my degree from UBC Commerce is in marketing. I um, have always worked alongside a, a branding graphic design person because I love branding. Like I love, even though I'm not a designer and I can't mm. do it from scratch myself, I love being a part of those things. And, and West Haven and Oakland are very, very well branded. So hats yeah, off to you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so because marketing I'm already so drawn to, mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why I decided or gravitated toward making that an area, an area of specialty. Mm-hmm. Now, marketing is moving so quickly and changing evolving so quickly so it's tough to keep up Mm -hmm. but i will say that the vast majority of real estate agents are falling behind falling way are way too behind Mm -hmm. and the chances of catching up are low yeah yeah. so i like that i feel like i'm 
keeping up with it and we keep pushing and pushing because it's moving so quickly. And the more we do, the more it is noticed. I'm noticing already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been noticing it for a while. So I think that it will be, if I, if I consistently stick with the stuff I've been doing and keep evolving it and working with peeled and et cetera, that it will um, give me a good ROI. Yeah, that's the goal. How do you optimize your time? How do you think about time? How do you divvy up your day? Like, how, how does that work for you? Uh, how do you prioritize? I got so many questions. So I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know what? I, I t- realistically, anything client related comes first, and then, um, then after that, it's really just whatever I feel like. Because <laughs> nice, yeah. Because I'll I'll do any task that I'll do any task with complete focus. Yeah. But the one I'll I'll get the most done if it's a task that I feel like doing because obviously you're just into it. Yeah. So that's kind of that's how I do it. Got and it. because because I don't struggle with I'm not a person who struggles with getting distracted and things like that. I don't usually need to um be so yeah be so on be so structured with it. I just can do what I feel like and I'll keep kind of moving through things. Hmm. The only thing that does slow me down, I will admit, on a very regular basis that I need to work on is um almost overthinking things and negativity. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a I, I admit that I'm a in many ways I'm fairly negative, at mm-hmm. least when it comes to um, self-critique. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that's good because it keeps you improving, but I've learned, and now unfortunately it's become such a deep habit, but I've learned that it drains you badly. Mm. So that's, okay. that's, that is the one thing that does, if I wanted to get more efficient in a big way, that'd be the one thing that would make a big difference if I wasn't so negative. So I get it, but speaking your language a little bit more and speaking my language a little bit more, one thing that's made you so, so efficient is, is, being a super critique on yourself. And now you're saying, well, okay, that's maybe not actually the most appro- best approach, uh, most efficient approach, but why wouldn't it be? How does it actually, how does it impede your professional development or personal development? It's one thing critiquing and it's another thing to get to a point where you don't recognize positive anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't celebrate wins. You only are focusing on what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so the, it can get to a point where it goes past critique and just starts feeling like everything, that nothing is ever good enough. Everything is basically a problem that needs fixing. And then when everything is always a problem, you start doing that year after year. And then it starts to become like, well, what's even the point, point sometimes? Everything's always going to be bad. Mm-hmm. It's just now I'm really just working on making it, keeping it as low less as bad, le- less bad, but ultimately <laughs> it's always bad. And that's obviously going to not make me happy with myself or, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. So that's, that is an ongoing challenge. How do you work through that? I don't know. See, that, <laughs> that's a great question. I don't know. And, um, I, I sometimes have moments where I, um, note this and I'll, uh, I might journal or do something to say what I'm grateful for. And I will, it will switch my mood a little bit. The problem though, is that once you're so ingrained in a thought, it's so uncomfortable to think in a different way that even if it feels good, you just want to go back to the easy way, which is just, I'd rather just have my same be a super yeah, critique, yeah. be a super critique, even if it's negative. So it's just so hard to like get those uncomfortable habits back in place. It just feels so awkward. Fuck. Damn. Yeah. Sean, I wish I had an answer for that one. Cause, it, cause, you, Cause you revert back. Constantly. I know. Constantly. And it's like any square that isn't perfect, any circle that isn't perfect, any anything that isn't perfect. And it's so much work because every time your natural state is to go back, it's like, oh my God, now I have to open up my journaling and spend the next 15 minutes trying to get myself back. It's like, oh, I don't even, I'd rather just be miserable. This is easier. (laughs) So that's, it's, I don't know. It's the path of least resistance. Yeah. I don't know. So that that one I don't, haven't figured out. And I definitely struggle with that all the time. Yeah. Me too, man. So I, 
and and I some and sometimes I even get jealous of people who are um so positive because I'm like, yeah. well, that's not. Uh, why don't I get to be happy about everything? And I'll be like, I want <laughs> screw you almost, guys. It's almost like I want to go and be like, you should be unhappy because of these shortcomings that you have, so that they have to struggle too. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> I'm bringing the ship down with yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. If I'm going to be depressed, then everyone else has to be. <laughs> cool, Sean. Well, thank you so much. Where can uh, where would you like to direct people? Thank you for being so vulnerable. But where would you like to uh, direct people if if people listen to this, other professionals or or uh, uh, you know, just the general public, where's the spot? Where do you want to push them? Um, I'd say that my, uh, my Instagram account is increasingly giving clients or possible, you know, other business professionals more of an insight about what I'm up to and Very cool. all about. So my Instagram or um, that'd be a main one. Cool. I love it. Yeah. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for coming on and being so vulnerable and, and open about your business and open about your personal life. And and I love this medium because it allows that. And uh, if I can say anything to you, it's to continue to find mediums like this and this long form and, and showing this other side of yourself because I think, yeah, it's helpful for you and probably healthy for you, but maybe even equally as important, it's super valuable to the world. So thank you. And I appreciate you having me here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for checking that out, guys. Whether you're on YouTube for the visual experience or whether you're on uh, the audio platforms, the podcast platforms just for the audio experience. Uh, that was like something I didn't expect. I didn't expect Sean to go that deep. Um, I didn't expect things to get so vulnerable. I didn't expect that personality to come in here and, and act the way he did, but I was so pleasantly surprised. And so that was that was an honor. So so thank you, Sean. Um, I want to shout out this week to uh, to Turf because Turf actually, if you don't know Turf, Turf is like this active living studio, also you know an espresso bar, and also does the the, the vegan meals and all these types of things. And there's someone in the community that's really grown, and and every week we shout out someone that is adding to the community, adding to the culture here in Vancouver, and just try to build other people up, unpaid of course. So Turf, um, shout out to you guys. I, this is mainly because you guys just opened up a um, a new location right by my work uh, on uh, I don't even know what street's on West Georgia. I'm I'm on like Barard, but it's right by there. Anyways, had a couple lunches there. Shout out to you guys for expanding and, and building the community, the active living community here in Vancouver. We appreciate it and we see you guys as always. Um, thank you, Sean, for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, also, uh, if you guys are kind of new to this and you don't know what this is about, make sure to go back to our back catalog um, and find something that you're interested in. There's literally 60 plus episodes of stuff for you guys to check out. Uh, and on top of that, uh, go back to the YouTube if you want to check out the visual experience. There's a ton of resources there and content that's actually worth your time because we do value it. So, and as always, please subscribe, hit like, all that type of stuff that uh, frankly just whizzes off the top of my head. So just know I appreciate you guys and continue to engage with the content and uh, it means the world. So until next week, see you guys.